You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hi everyone, this is Andrew Lowen. It's Sean, just introducing this week's episode to let you know that we continued our conversation with Ross Thompson, discussing how to market big board games and the importance of scheduling Make sure to check out our previous conversation because this is part two, which is episode 101. And I hope you find this helpful. So without further delay, here's part two. Enjoy. Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting because I really wanted to talk about pricing of big games. So, you know, one of the one of the things that I did when I was kind of in the in the lead up to my Kickstarter, which was for deliverance back in um 2021 over the summer we funded. And I, I had um, the base game. We we did a fifteen nine dollar version so that it was more accessible. Then deluxe was eighty nine, and then all in was one forty nine. And I felt like it was high enough that I needed to let people know what the price was going to be before it actually hit, so that people wouldn't get sticker shock, but that all the fans would say yes, that's great, or they would tell me that there was a problem before the Kickstarter went live, so that I didn't look like an idiot and fall on my face in front of the whole world. And one very interesting thing I noticed was with Elden Ring of Steamforged, you know, I, I actually don't, th- well, as, as of the time of this recording, it's not out yet, but I, I think it's going to be very big. But one thing they did, I received their email that let me know the campaign's going live soon. It's like seven days or 14 days, something like that. Oh, it's 40 seconds. Okay. So next yes. Tuesday. So the, uh, they let people know what the price was going to be. They were like, and in fact, oh, yeah. it was actually the feature, the entire, you know, we, we always try when we design emails, we try to get people to do whatever desirable action. You know, there's always the button inside the email. All of the, the buttons should generally be, you know, sending people to do the very same action, giving people more reasons that they might want to do that very same thing, like joining the Facebook group or joining the Discord community or something like that. But I was very interested to see, and and it actually gave me, ideas for what you know for certain projects in the future the button said see what the pledge level prices are going to be and they had a blog that they wrote on on the web on the steamforge website that talked about the various pledge levels and i thought that was really smart just prepping people on that and it's really interesting right so i there's there's two parts for this one is that because you said you were inspired by it kickstarter's been around for a long time at this point but it's still Wild West, right? People are still introducing new things that change how you think, that change, oh, we could be doing that and everything there, which I think is great, right? Because it just shows that the platform at its core is still just a fundraising platform and how you choose to engage with the audience and then your and then your community affects how you're going to bring your game to life, right? And one of the things that... so. Before I get into Steamforge stuff, so I was the trade marketing manager at Steamforge, and I was brought in to work on their games after Kickstarter. So once they were, once they came, I worked on establishing marketing stuff for all distributors, for our retailers, and doing a lot of that stuff. That being said, in board games, you wear many hats. So I got to do a lot of PR stuff for them, help get, get kind of their community established, and then you can't not work on a Kickstarter when you're at Steamforge. Like there's yeah. just when it comes up, everybody's all in. And we got to do that. So I got to work on Resident Evil, the new one that, that, that had had was back in October. Uh, the Adventures of Academia, which was their cool animal uh, school one. 
we got to do RuneScape, the, the Shadows of Eldervel, and we got to do, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, but uh, Epic Encounters, the uh, the local legends, and then we did another one too that I, oh, Rivet Wars, mm -hmm. right? Which that was a trip having worked on Rivet Wars when it was a Kulmini or not, and then again, it's Team Forge, so that was a wow. whole. Yeah, flashback stuff. That's that. awesome. And um, I know it's a little bit, I don't mean to tangent you a little, but did you work on God Tier? God yeah, tier? totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so but, but God Tier at that point had already been out, right? right? So God Tier wasn't a Kickstarter when I was working on it. When I was right. working it was actually on a, a relatively humble Kickstarter, but I think it's earned a pretty hardcore following, right? Oh, 100%. So I, that was one of the cool things that when I came in, we're like, hey, cool, let's keep people playing the game. And so the game itself is built really well. It, the problem that game, it got kneecapped because it came it came out in March 2020, mm -hmm. right? So here's a new miniatures game. Oh, here's the pandemic. You know, yeah. you're like, well, that's kind of tough. And everybody Just got the miniatures and how do you do all that stuff there? And they weren't set up at the time to really kind of do all that. So when I got hired back in that, that October, right, I was like, cool, well, how do we adjust and go from there? So... Um, but the game's got a really good following now, and it's built for people that like miniatures games, but don't need to. They don't have to buy a whole army because it's it's like a MOBA, right? So you buy your champions, do your stuff, and do all that. It's, it's a lot of fun. I had a blast playing it the last year. Um, so yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Steve Ward, I, I, I had to work on Dark Souls and, and Horizon Zero Dawn and all that stuff too. That was primarily what my focus was, but obviously Kickstarter wise. So so now they're gearing up for Steam for Elden Ring. And I was already on my way out um, and, and working down a lot of – so I didn't get to work on a lot of stuff that they were doing. Steamforged has a Kickstarter team that mm -hmm. works on stuff, which is super cool. And so their team gets to focus on all this different stuff they've got. So Elden Ring, everything you've seen publicly is awesome, right? Like they just ran a big thing last week. So on Monday, they ran a press event at a cathedral in the U.K., Right, and they invited press out from the U.S., from the U.K., and did a whole thing with uh, a closed door previews. And if you go on the if you go on their social media right now on their Instagram, you can see all the different stuff from there. And they did this cool demo stuff. Here's the miniatures. Here's all this interviews with the designer, all that kind of stuff there, which is like the dream, right? Like, hey, we get to yeah. work on a huge IP. We get to spend some marketing money. And make some cool stuff happen, right? So that's what you should be doing when you have an IP like that. So yeah. it's it's neat to see that. And so, but what what Steamforge does with their campaigns, which I think is like a a a really cool thing they do, is they build a story and they bring the community along for the ride, right? And so when you look at a lot of the campaigns they've done, like Bardsung and Resident Evil and RuneScape, everything in the in the comments is community driven. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so they're doing polls, they're doing questionnaires, their their stretch goals are all built out as the adventure is going on. Right. So for Resident Evil, we're exploring the mansion together as we unlock more stuff. Okay, we've mm -hmm. gotten to a room. Here's a zombie. Here's a survivor. Here's a chest. Okay. In the comment section, vote. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna say kill the zombie? Are we gonna open the chest? Are we gonna save the survivor? Oh, cool. We killed the zombie. Boom. Now we have that zombie as a stretch goal. That miniature is there. Now let's go to the next room and uh -huh. do that stuff, right? So being able to build that into the campaign brings people back each day, mm -hmm. right? And now they're invested because if they aren't, you know, if you're a huge Resident Evil fan, 
and you really want to make sure that I want that certain character is in it and you miss the day that character is in the room and you don't vote on it, then maybe that character won't be in the campaign, right? And in the game. And so that's kind of a cool way that they, they've done it with Bard Song and other stuff there. And if you go through a lot of their marketing, it it requires a lot of work, right? Because yeah. obviously you're going to have to have everything mocked up, ready for production. You got to have the story written up and then on licensing, you've got all these approvals and all that stuff going on. But at the same time, that's part of it. That's work, you know, yeah. like, and that's, and that's what you do. And like, for my end, like, I hate last minute stuff, right? And it's so hard to make last minute work. Uh, when a Kickstarter is going, there should be no last minute things going on. That is, you've failed yeah. yourself. That's the case. Obviously, you've, you've got to call audibles and go left and right, but you should have had that prepped, right? Like we're at a point now where even though it is Wild West, there's 12 years of Kickstarter history for all these campaigns you can look up. There's a million podcasts and all these books and all these videos. So you can read up on what's that month going to look like. So I know we all say the first three days of funding are the biggest and the last three days are your next big thing. And you're going to have a lull in the middle. Okay. Well, how are you going to get around that lull in the middle? How, what are you going to do to like, like on that Friday of the campaign, when you've burned through your four paid re- preview videos and you've finished up your interviews what are you going to do to keep that going? Like you shouldn't be thinking about that the Thursday before on that thing. You should already have that done a month ago. Right. Or yeah. at least in the works there's having designer diaries and all these things there and doing all of that is really neat. I'm excited for Elden Ring, the, the team behind steam forge and everything there. They've done a great job putting all together, uh, which is going to be super cool. So, I mean, like if people are, are going to hear this a week from now, you know, I, I hope we see record breaking numbers happen on this Thursday when it launches on, on the Tuesday, they, they deserve it. Right. So that the team has worked their butt off. So it should be cool. Yep. Yeah. I th- I, you know, I th- it's, it's such an incredible thing to just look at the way that a campaign like that is run. And, you know, you think that's way too much to do. I mean, obviously steam forged has an entire team dedicated to Kickstarter. In addition to their teams dedicated to after uh, Kickstarter, or maybe things that may, may not even make it to Kickstarter. Right. But at the same time, I think that you can think about, you might not be playing at that level where you have an IP like Elden Ring and you need to make $3 million to even make this thing worth it. Uh, there, You can play at the level you're used to and, and elevate your project beyond that, I think, even as a solo designer. I think that the, the experience is core to that. Like you said, you know, my, my I, as we're talking, I think big exp- if, the, if big experience is is what you would expect from a big game then that story and bringing people along with you and helping them experience that you know have an experience a big experience during your kickstarter that is so paramount to the success of a bigger game give a big experience for tiny towns uh even though it's an awesome game it's just uh or Catan, you know it's, I think that's the key. It's the experience of the game rather than the time that it takes to play the game. This reminds me of a lecture I heard by Amy Hennig, who is a video game developer. She's worked on you know some pretty big things like uh, the Uncharted series. And she was saying in this lecture, I have to dig, dig out, that a lot of the push for newer video games is to have more content, as in it now takes so many hours to play the game. She says the problem with that is that people are kind of getting like overwhelmed with how much content there is in games, and they're just not playing the game. And so she was, her sort of uh, pitch was that 
the games need to focus on experiences rather than having infinite worlds and you know so many dungeons and you know because i think certain people say well i'll I'll never see it all it's kind of overwhelming (laughs) in that context so i think the the key when designing big games is to think of the experience of those games and how immersive they're going to be and what are the sort of the points in the game where you would say i got you or whatever that's going to make the game memorable when you leave the table eventually totally i mean it's 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 people want to feel clever they want to look back and go oh my gosh remember when we did that thing and that happened and we get that story because being able to have that story about the game we've played together that shared experience is what it's all about I, i've played you know like D, you know like, like everybody who's done this stuff but like most people can recall a thing that happened in the last session they played in or that one really cool time when, Oh my gosh, we were in this boss battle and this thing happened and no, it was crazy. Like you should have been there. And, and that's really neat. Right. And so tabletop gaming has that tangible bit to it, which at the same time, but if like, I know we're all marketing style people, but like in Kickstarter campaigns too, you can totally have that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And it's that candy crush kind of vibe where you want to get people coming back each day and doing their whole thing there with that feel. But like, I've got certain campaigns where I can remember moments in it where we had a release for an update with a stretch goal and like the community exploded with like excitement. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's this thing. Holy crap. Right. And it was and that, that caused a news day and the whole thing there. And it, that set one of the new bars on how Kickstarter had to be done and you're like, all we did was just make something that the, the community wanted. And it, we did it in a fun way for a good reveal. And it was nice, you know? So like that, those things like that are, are really neat. And that's, that helps build your brand too. And I, and I think one of the things that people kind of forget about is when you're making your game, when you're making your campaign, when you're making your logos, all that stuff is part of your brand, right? And it's like when they say your company name, what do you want them to be thinking about? Right. And like these guys do X really well. Right. They create a cool story. They have an engaging community. They, you know, have a, a game that does these things. That kind of stuff's important. And because it, for your Kickstarter, if it's clunky or there were issues in it or you're bad at communication, you know, sometimes that will reverberate and people will think about that. Oh, it's, it was really cool, but they're so bad at communication. Like they're not really present with their community yeah. and some of those things there. And it's, it's tough because, you know, for obviously I'm full-time gaming, so I can dedicate a lot of time to that. Right. But for people that aren't full-time gaming and have to think about cool, this is, this is after my full-time job and I've got two kids and now I'm doing my Kickstarter updates. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to think about how can you structure that out? And the biggest thing that I, I swear by is like having a schedule, right. And having a plan. Having a marketing plan is huge, right? And having a release plan is huge. Whether you stick to it or not, that's on you, right? But at least like knowing what you want to do and get those mm-hmm. beats done because then you can have a weekend where you put everything out and you plan up the next three months, right? And then at least you can break it down into smaller things and go, cool, hey, on these two days, we're going to do this and do that because mm-hmm. it, it's tough to you know, make all the blog posts and do the board game geek posts and do the social media things and do all that. But if you can break it down into bite-sized components and go, Hey, today I'm going to write a blog and then that's going to do that. But if, but if you think about it last minute, then it gets overwhelming. Right. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree. I think that it's really easy to get yourself kind of overwhelmed with the amount of work that is possible. You know, your audience 
is, as you mentioned, Board Game Geek in particular, you know, for me, I've decided, and, and I generally recommend whatever social media you were using before, you should continue to use and adapt to, you know, uh, you know, for, for your, for your Kickstarter. Um, so I use Facebook regularly. I really never use Twitter. Um, and I use board game geek pretty regularly. I use discord pretty regularly. And so for me to, you know, it's, it's very natural to jump on Facebook, discord, board game geek. But if I were to jump onto Twitter, I feel like it would be an extra thing that I would have to learn in addition to performing the actual work. And, uh, you know, I, I, being that I have uh, full-time, you know, I'm, I'm in, in the board game industry full-time in a different capacity as a marketer, but um, it's just too much almost like, you know, so I'm, I'm as a designer, I'm, I'm that person that's working, you know, odd hours on the game and um, on the marketing and that kind of thing. And it has to take second fiddle to what actually pays the bills. And um, you know, it's, it's, I think compartmentalization is really important. And like you said, scheduling is really important and um, you know, just helping whatever the marketing is blend into your regular activity is very helpful too. So managing my Facebook group is extremely easy because I'm on Facebook on, you know, every day I'm on Facebook Um, discord. I can just have it up and running in the background and I try not to let it distract me too often, but it's very easy to, to respond to, questions or, or, you know, that sort of thing there, but yeah. And, you know, sometimes things need to suffer because life is, you know, moving it and you need to pay the bills and, and, and serve the, the thing that's, that, that's most critical, um, you know, the family and, and other things like that. But um, I, I think that schedule is so important. And for me, when I'm, I, I, I calendar everything when I, I calendar it and Oftentimes for me, my, my week is it just like slammed full. Like if you look at the last or the, the next couple of days, they're always slammed full, but I oftentimes will, you know, miss a task that day, but I'm able to use that calendar to just shuffle the task to the next day or shuffle the task to the next week um, so that it doesn't get forgotten about. But in, in essence, what I do is I calendar everything and I prioritize the most important things get done. And then if something didn't get done, it gets shuffled to the next day. So it's, it, it's, it's really interesting. One of the things you brought up there, I, I just had a chat with somebody the other day. Um, so the, they're a community manager for, for a company and they're like, there's so much to, to watch. There's the discord, there's Reddit, there's Twitter, there's Facebook and everything there. How do you do it all? Right. And so one of the, the things that kind of helps me a little bit, just kind of, cause you mentioned a little bit is that just scrolling constantly is not a good use of your time. Right. Cause like, and, and you, cause you, what are you searching for? You're searching for something to fix and do all that. But like, I, I kind of, I try to set my scrolling times like on the wild west search to very limited, like when I wake up in the morning, great. Right. I'll go on Twitter. I'll go on Facebook. I'll go on discord. I'll look around and see what's going on because there's going to be cool things that pop up. Somebody could, Oh, cool. I, I can be a part of that. Or I can share a little bit of nugget info, but if you're just looking for stuff in your communities the whole time, you're going to get lost forever. And if you're the main driver for marketing for your company, whether you're the marketing person or a woman in operation, you should be driving that stuff. Right. So it is, Oh, you know, like, you're like, cool. I, I got to think you have, you have a new character release coming up. Great. 
make content around that character. You've got a new expansion release kind of cool, make content around that. So instead of waiting for the community to do stuff, which they will always do stuff, but you know, that retweet or that extra share of that blog you saw is cool, but you should be driving that content forward first. And that'll give you less of an imposter syndrome on that, right? Because yep. then you're the ones that are making it happen. At one stage, you could get a, an extension for your browser, which disabled the Facebook feed. So if you just wanted to like check messages and not be distracted by the feed, that was, I don't know if it's still around, but that was something I used at one point, just got rid of the feed altogether. And so I could just focus on messages or whatever. Yep. I find reels and, you know, if you, if you are watching video content on social media, then the machine wants you to keep watching videos. So it's prob. I mean, the, the scroll and the reels, like just watching and, and, you know, scroll or popping over to the next reel, swiping to the next reel, um, is very dangerous. If you want to, if you, if you value your time, you have to really, really monitor that. Also, I mean, it goes to note because we're on social media, everybody has a political bias and some, you know, some are very, you know, I'll, uh, say not, not really, you know, politics aren't really a big deal to them overall. Um, and others, it's a huge deal. I, I find that sharing politics on social media, being too open about politics can can damage you in a way that, you know, it's kind of a self-inflicted wound. You know, for me, I personally want people to see the things I value when like they just go to my Facebook page or something. I want it to be positive. I want them to see my family. I want them to see the games I'm working on. I want them to, you know, but I, I don't want to be a parrot for whatever. Uh, news site I was just reading, you know. I so that's... that's a whole other conversation for yeah. sure, right? <laughs> but it's and so I think there's there's part of it where people really want to know the people behind the games they make, and they want to know the people behind the brands. And there are a certain amount of people that love to know that information, and there's people that just don't, right? And so there are certain people in the industry that love sharing their thoughts and their opinions mm -hmm. and all of that, which you know what, awesome because we shouldn't be trying to shut that down, right? Because right. at a certain time, Facebook is is open for everything, right? I, I, I'm in, a, I'm in a, um, a medieval, a medieval reenactment group called the SCA, right? And yes. I do all, all I really things. wanted to talk about this. Yeah, you which, know how to kill bad guys with swords. Totally, that is right? pretty awesome. So it's a whole thing and all of that. Um, before social media, the only time you'd meet people in the club would be when you're camping or when you're mm -hmm. at practice. And at that point in time, we're putting armor, we're fighting, we're doing whatever. So I don't care who you voted for. I don't care. That's this kind of stuff there. But now with social media, right, like you get to see people that choose to share it, all their thoughts and opinions and their posting and their stuff like that. And the cool thing about being in a very diverse group of people and to do to have a shared life of medieval reenactment is you're going to get the full spectrum, yep. right? And, and, and so people can say, oh, you know, social media is – ruined things like that. And it's like, no, it's just, it's given you more perspective into mm -hmm. people's views in different areas that you didn't see them before. Right. right. And so if you choose to interact with them still based on who they voted for and all of that, you know, that's something that you've just kind of got to, got to realize. I'm not saying you're going to mature it or not because like, politics is, it's very tough right now, you know, with everything going on. And so right. very it, it can be very divisive. It, it, it can be. And for some of it, you know, like, that's, that's a good thing because sometimes we need to have that extra political stir to cause change and do all that. But at the same time, if you just want to play board games, sometimes you, yeah. you don't care. What board somebody games is exactly the opposite of politics, I feel like. It's all, like all that stuff like that, right? play so, with a, 
a priest and an atheist and yeah. a whatever, you know, yeah, and so I'll smash them all. Totally. And so it's, so it's tough, right? Because you, you get some folk that they do have influence in an industry because of the following they have and the stuff they've built up and their voice, they feel like they should do since they speak up about it. And there are times when that's where we are really off course, but like there are yeah. times when that's really important. Right. And especially in an industry that is growing and learning, like sometimes if there's bad stuff happening, like a company is being not the best and they're doing things and causing employee problems or, you know, whatever they're doing, that's not good. Right. Calling that out is very important, but that's the same as politics or religion or whatever. Eh, it's weird. Yeah. So social media creates a new thing and you just got to be aware of that. So if you're going to speak about a certain topic that you know is going to be decisive, you just got to be aware of that. The, yep. I, I think that the biggest problem with that is, and this is just a thing is the, the dark side of the internet with trolls and yep. people that harass and do all that, they make it so much worse. Because it'd be so much easier to have a lot of these conversations if I wasn't going to get just drilled by some, you know, YouTube channel that has it out just to get hate clicks, right? Because right? yep. when those guys roll in and do all that, it causes all these problems. And so that that, that makes companies have to make a stance mm -hmm. against these things because if they're getting attacked by just a dark side of the internet, they can't just let it roll in. Because if they let right. it roll in, then their community is going to be full of crap. So at Games Workshop, you got you got me rolling now. So Games <laughs> Workshop during the pandemic came out with a big thing because so the so Warhammer is, uh, you know, it's been around for a bazillion years, right? And it's, and it's a lot of it is a parody on fascism and satirical stuff and crazy religion and all going cults and all that kind of stuff there. So there are certain people that have latched on to like the dark meme side of that and everything there. And they like playing the fascist factions and stuff like that a little too much. Right? Yeah. And so games workshop had to come out and say, Hey, if you are wearing Nazi stuff at our tournaments and you have painted your stuff with Nazis, you're not welcome in our groups. Like that's yeah. not what we want to do. And so like, even just them saying that, which you'd feel like, hey, Nazis aren't good, like, is a pretty, a pretty standard statement. Boy, did that get people upset, right? And that caused this whole thing, and did it all there. And but now that's part of their brand, and now that's part of their marketing, and so they and they, and they have to enforce that. So yep. as you know, influencers and YouTubers start up hate things and all that. You've got to, you've got to. Moderation's important for however you do it. So. Yeah, I, obviously I have opinions on that, but um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'd say for me it kind of comes down to whatever you write, do do whatever you do on purpose, because you've thought about it, and don't reaction, don't uh, you know, make a knee jerk reaction, um, post or comment or something like that. It's it's uh, you know, even the best people in their worst moments can look like horrible people, and so just try not to post on social media in your worst <laughs> moment you know um, it's, it's interesting i don't know if you know jamie stegmar stepped away from twitter he sort of recently announced that because he just said it brought out his <laughs> his worst side brought out the the nasty and i think i think the problem with social media is the majority of people who use it don't actually understand what it is and social media is a social engineering tool it's designed to push its users to t take certain actions um usually to sell products but it can also have some darker, more nefarious means. And I think one of the problems is that 
they're designed to stimulate your mind in such a way to produce dopamine and that can be done by certain contents so it's sort of <laughs> making you mad it's sort of un well i think a lot of people unintentionally don't realize it's influencing you to create certain content that might be controversial that we right, can get a lot games. of engagement a lot of clicks a lot of reactions and that's going to feed your brain or this dopamine so it, it almost becomes like a vicious cycle of toxicity <laughs> i want to say um where you can almost be engineered to create certain content that gets lots of clicks i think people just need to be aware that that's what these systems can turn into can yeah. do my opinion is take it off the internet because the internet dehumanizes people and you don't you don't speak to people the same on the internet as you do in real life and if it's something that is important it's probably done face probably better done face to face that's my mm -hmm. that's my opinion <laughs> yeah it's um uh with my with my previous casino experience um it is a difficult task to undertake because even like it pretty much the the more people eyes that are on your your product or your 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 game, the more problems you're gonna have no matter what. Even if it's social media or not. You know, I used to manage at a casino and I also part of my my job was to make sure the the promotions went well. And the way you can tell how old a promotion is is by how many rules it has. So we have these little we had to publish the rules on these little cards. So if someone asks, like, oh, what's the rules for this promotion? We're like, here you go. And it seemed like every time we'd run a promotion, somebody would find a way around the rules and, you know, to try to like, you know, get whatever, you know, the prize is or whatever. And so then we would have to sit down and go, okay, this didn't work. Let's make a rule for it. And then we republished the cards. I mean, we, we went through, we were tree killers um, <laughs> back in the days. And, and of course, like I said, like you sit there and you're like, Oh, this is a new promotion. So I got 10 rules. And then you look at something that's older. It's like, Oh, this has got 36 rules. And so, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's more, the more eyes, the the more the, the more times you'll have to make you know changes and adjustment and it doesn't matter if it's on all oh, social media will you know stoke the fire but it also happens outside of social media it, it, it totally does right and so like, like one of the things that i've been very very happy about is in our industry when a tough situation pops up right like let's say a company has, has a bunch of bad actors that are doing stuff some of the times that will get around and it, it can cause some issues but like at the same time like it's good there's like mm -hmm. some changes need to happen sometimes, right? I'm not saying an individual person makes a bad post, you know, they shouldn't be held to that completely. But like if a company has is doing bad actions, they're treating uh, um, contractors poorly and stuff like that, we may not know about it un until an article pops up or mm -hmm. a larger thread rolls into a design group. And hey, by the way, you know, this company isn't paying their contractors on time mm -hmm. or they're treating their employees this way. And that kind of stuff, while negative, is important because we need to know. We don't need to know, but it's when it does pop up, it's good to know. What it's it's the way for the kind of the, uh, if you will, the common person to fight against the machine, right? Bit, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and that's, so, I think that's pretty darn important. But it's tough. Um, I mean, like to kind of get that back on the Kickstarter route, right? Like if only we could edit Kickstarter comments, right? Yes. Like you get, you get one person in there. And they can totally derail your whole campaign by just doing stuff on that boat. But at the same time, if, you, if there's a campaign that hasn't delivered a Kickstarter they haven't, and they're on their fourth campaign and they're still doing that, that's helpful to have you be like, hey, I haven't received yeah. this campaign yet. Right? Yep. And so it sucks being on that other end when you're like, we totally <laughs> had delivered it to you, but you were an asshole. So we decided to cancel yeah. your pledge. Like that's, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's, there's that back and forth, but at the same time, like if there's like the golden bell or stuff like that, mm -hmm. right. Where they've just yep. 
the first one I thought of. <laughs> yeah, like and, and they're abusing the system. We wouldn't know about that unless social media was there telling it because mm-hmm. it isn't like Gamma's out there saying these companies are, are, are taking advantage of folk and doing those things there because that opens them up for legal issues and all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's a weird, you know, navigational thing you kind of got to figure out, which kind of goes back to that. What's your brand? What do you promote? What are you doing there? But if you're, you know, promoting good times and playing games and that's the course you want to go, great. But if you want to mm-hmm. get more activated with it, there are communities that you can be a part of, which is cool too. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think um, it's very interesting because I had this experience during my Kickstarter where somebody trolled my mom like so hard. They, oh. it, my, it was so, it was actually just so funny to me, but at the same time, like this is this just terrible? You know, the things this person saying, you know, it's just, right. you know, I couldn't really do anything about it other than cancel that person's pledge. I tried my best to get them to turn around and thankfully they, they did, you know, but uh, I feel like, well, I, I remember sometime within, I want to say the last six months, certainly this year, Kickstarter made a change to their comment moderation, which put a lot of power into the creator's hands. So if a creator flags a comment, it's now hidden until it finishes a review process, which is like a manual human review process by uh, Kickstarter's content moderation team. I don't know that if they, like... I think they were planning on doing that. I don't know if they've actually incorporated that yet. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I haven't actually seen um, any talk about that since they announced it, but may- maybe it's not implemented yet. But what, what do you think about that? I mean, just, I know we're tangenting, but do you think right. that's a good thing? Or... Yes. I, I think that there that you should definitely be able to have more moderation on there, right? Like it's not, and not you know, like having like if Kickstarter had a lot more folk to do it, that'd be good. But I think you one person has tainted campaigns so many times, um, just for rolling in there and just spewing just crap, you know. Yeah. And and it's it's why you have to be creative with how you do your comment sections too, right? Like how are you how are you engaging in your comment section? What kind of stuff are you doing? Because if you're not creating a culture in an environment where people feel comfortable asking questions, anybody can roll in there like it's a wild west saloon and just start throwing shots. Right. Yeah. And that can cause a lot of problems and you need, and it's your business on the line. You've put in how many hours of work spent, how much money out of your thing in one random Joe Schmo who's mm-hmm. bored on the internet and between world of Warcraft raids decides yeah. to come in and probably just, on a raid. Right. DPS. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. DPS. He's waiting for a refresh. <laughs> and he's just spewing crap. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like $1 and he's on and now he's saying whatever he wants. You need to be able to, to remove that stuff. Right. But that, I mean, that's sort of almost like an ethical issue. Like that's why, you know, it's like almost the pros and cons of the $1, the $1 uh, pledge. I mean, even like, well, I'm going to bring back the casino again because it's my favorite. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, my, the a lot of my work pledges at, at the casino. No, no, no. This is actually very interesting. But it's, I mean, so the casino I worked at had buses and they were free because they wanted to, to, you know, and it's all over all over San Diego County. You can get on a bus and go to the casino and it's free. It doesn't cost thing as long as you have a casino card. And the thing with that is, is, yeah, it brought in a lot of players, but it also brought in a lot of uh, things you didn't want in your casino. Um, you know, the homeless and the people just there trying to steal or people that would we, we called it a uh, crowd sur- or uh, machine surfing where they'd go from like slot machine to slot machine, seeing if there's like, you know, a few pennies left on it, cash it out and then it add up and they, you know, get the get the money. So, I mean, it is it is almost and it's 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 just, you know, it's if you're if you're going to open yourself up to the dollar pledge, 
it's something you might want to you know think about or consider before you do because I think a lot of these issues would actually not or, or would go away if you only had your 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 game pledges as opposed to having the dollar pledge. But then at the same time, the dollar pledge is great because if someone's on the fence, it gives them an opportunity to to jump in and you know still get you know the updates and the comments and you know get involved. But then I can, like you said, at the same time, it's like, hey, for a dollar, I get to have fun with this guy. And there are, you know, they can just go crazy. It's always on, that on one. Your... It's like the very, very vocal minority, isn't it? Well, you know? and that's but they have your attention because everybody's so focused on the comment section during the campaign that yep. that's like, there you go. They, they've now been elevated and does all that. And so like with Reddit, there's the upvote system. And so there's mm-hmm. so many things they could do. But the current before Kickstarter is you post, you comment, there you go. Right. Yep. So being able to have like I'm pretty sure if you report it enough times, it does be it is it is hidden until um, they come in and, and remove it or not, um, which is good. But like there is two sides of that. Right. Because like, you know, it, it's but mostly I've found, especially in the board game community, that people that are unhappy are more likely to post either on your board yeah. game geek page or in your comment section, because that's just their thing. And, and they need you to know that you've slighted them in some way. Right. Yep. And so, and you're going to do your best to bend over backwards to do stuff. But even if you've refunded them on their neck, on your next campaign, they may roll in, pledge a dollar, and then be like, on the last campaign, you did this and curse yep. you, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. it's tough because you don't want to shut that out because if there are bad actors taking advantage of the system, you know, people need to be able to roll in and be like, hey, this guy is not going to deliver, or they, they're three campaigns out. Right. And so it's tough, but that's why having a more active moderation system is, is good. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I, what I always, um, the, the way that I consider it is if, if you're getting, let's say one troll and, or maybe two, and they're talking negatively and just constantly harassing you, I try to, whatever I write, I write for those that are, that are not posting, but are reading the comments. There are going to be 10 to 100 times as many people reading what you write, you know, and, and th- that do not comment. And so whatever you write, write for those who will read what it is that you've written. And they may not say anything at all in, in response, but um, I think whenever you're addressing a troll, you know, I, I always try to take the positive element. There's usually a grain of truth or a grain of uh solid ground to stand on inside that comment of theirs that's so trollish that you know that you can actually address and just you know 100 percent, right and that's because everybody's going to read it but that's kind of the same for social media right like anything to be taken out of context and do all that so you should totally that's a good point to be like hey and that's why having a good customer service face on hey person thank you for messaging this here we go here's what we're going to do to solve that and go from there right so yeah. yeah it's that's a good point right so Let's let's talk about the Zombicide launch. Sure. I know we, we alluded to it, but I, I really want to talk about that and in particular how you organize those stretch goals. When you launched Zombicide, it, I believe it raised over a million dollars. And that mm, was not, not, not the first one. Oh, not the first one, huh? It, no. But it was a huge for its time. It was huge. It was um, massive. So, well, here we go. Simon, Zombicide by Simon. Here we go. It was still clear. So they raised $781,000 to 5,000 backers. Right. And so what was neat was during that time, Ogre was up there with being one of the biggest ones. And that was from Steve Jackson games. 
Um, and that was they did the, the Kickstarter for their giant tank game. They were, if you go look at that, and I suggest everybody go look it up, they put in shipping as each tier. So they had North America and Europe and all of that as each tier level. And it raised over a million dollars and little of this stuff. It's one of the first campaigns to do so. So that was a different age there. And uh, we had done, Zombicide was a really big one at that time too. And there was another one by, I'm trying to blank who it was, but essentially it, we used to make graphics. Kind of like, you know how movies do when they, with like Titanic and Avengers, and Avatar were like passing each other for most money raised in like a weekend kind yep. of thing. That was happening back then. Right. When it was like, oh, we make little comments and stuff like that. We, I think we even made an ogre stretch goal one time. It was like, oh, it's an ogre. We've now passed it because it's an ogre stretch goal thing and all of that there, which is funny. But when it was back then, it was still the stretch goal, paid add-on, stretch goal, paid add-on, kind of that switch there. And so there was a whole formula that you, you had based on how much money can we essentially get while still making this an engaging campaign and people are getting stuff because it really relied for that after pledge manager system where cool, you've backed for 80 bucks for this pledge and just going to get the stretch goals. But now you've got all the add-ons. It's why cool money or not now just has the all in pledge, right? That includes all that stuff because having to add 10 bucks every five, you know, every other day was a lot of work and you had to like constantly remind people, Hey, cool. We've unlocked this thing now edit your pledge and add 15 more bucks and edit your pledge and do more things. And so would you rather get more folk in at an all-age pledge or are you trying to get an additional hundred bucks out of, you know, your 3000 people here, right? So yeah. um, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting about Zombicide and all the early Cool Money or Not Kickstarters was the marketing was different because everybody was on Facebook. Right. And there were like four news sites, Beast of War, TabletopGamingNews.com, um, ICV2, and uh, like Bell Lost Souls. Like, like you know, what Rodney wasn't around yet, really, doing a lot of big stuff. Right. It was Warren Johnson and Watch It Played. It was Zach running TabletopGamingNews.com. It was having a big Facebook thing. You could just put, put up an ad, boost it, and it would reach your audience. It, it, Facebook hadn't dumb down all the algorithm stuff yet and you could just you know put a hundred bucks on your launch day and it would reach everybody that wanted to do board games you, your general page was already reaching your you know twenty thousand people who were following you so a lot of the marketing back then was a lot different because we could pretty much just oh cool we had a new update we did a stretch goal boom here it is we're good to go share it up so a lot of that stuff was already we just had to go along for the ride like a roller coaster, right? And yep. just make sure it was going on. A lot of that initial marketing was going to shows, right? Hey, we're going to do PAX, some, PAX East. We're going to do an Epicon. We're going to do Origins. We're going to do this stuff. And all of that, but for the same, hey, we're going to get on Board Game Geek and do some stuff and get some YouTube videos. But if you look at a lot of the videos that are on some of those early campaigns, you know, it's an unboxing video. It's a how to play video with the designers is you don't have this slew of stuff there tom vassal had a lot more sway back then yeah. right like if, if he liked your game awesome if he didn't that, that was a real <laughs> problem <laughs> you know yeah. and so it's it's interesting when you think about like the weight of influencers now in the whole debate between reviews and previews 
right? So like like when you look at stuff that like a lot of these channels now where you you're paying the four hundred bucks to get your your preview video and it's going to be twenty minutes long and you've got you know four of those. Most people know that that's a paid commercial, yeah. right? And it's an advertisement, which is okay to have. Advertising is good, and you want to have people that have seen it, you know. But at the same time, having those playthrough videos and those that stuff's really important too. Back then, it was just as important, right? But like for Devacon, we, we launched Zombicide at, at Devacon, and which was a primarily a Warhammer convention, right? So we were we had brought board games to it with Zombicide. I was in the board game hall, and we ran demos like the whole time. And I I, I joke about the, the Red Bull and pizza, but like. I was literally like on Red Bull and pizza like that whole weekend and just playing, <laughs> playing demos the whole time and doing all of that. And uh, I ran a demo for Russ from D6 Generation back when that used to be a lot bigger podcast and have a much larger sway. And right, having them do that, um, we ended up, you know, having Tom Vassell, not at Nevercom, but like playing a little bit later and getting it on the Dice Tower Twitter account was huge then. Like, and that's gone now because they lost their Twitter account a few years ago. But like they used to have their Twitter account used to have real sway mm -hmm. on stuff like that. And so that was a big deal was how do we get that marketing out there? But initially it was just promoting it on our website, getting on the news feeds, getting on that stuff. Now we'd have roughly up to about a million goal built in. So we knew what stretch goals we wanted to do and everything there. And that was a the debate between what's going to be an add-on and what's going to be uh just a free stretch goal, right? But there was a good, probably, you know, probably half was still paid, paid stuff, you know? And, and that is a lot different now. That's not what Kickstarters are, right? You do stretch goals to bring people back and to get more backers. But, you know, you were trying to get people that had already backed to give you a, a 50 more bucks, a hundred more bucks during the campaign, all right? Yeah. And so... That's a, like, like you, you, if you look back at like some of the sedition, like sedition wars, and rivet wars, and Kingdom Death one, right, and some of like with Super Dungeon Explorer Legends, like a lot of those campaigns are a nice mix of ten dollars on the graphics. Sometimes Board Game Geek in Facebook wouldn't promote the images that you made because it have add twenty bucks, add fifteen bucks, add too large on the graphic. Right, which isn't the stuff you deal with now. Now you got to make sure your pledge level is the smaller amount, and but that's just one number. Where like that was a big deal. Was half our graphics were add ten bucks to your pledge, add twenty bucks to your pledge, right? So God, I feel old talking about that stuff because like <laughs> it's funny because like I've done campaigns in the last year where you know that isn't the case at all. But kind of going down memory lane, those were some of those problems that we had to deal with. Um, but it was funny because. I think the last big campaign of that era was the first Kingdom Death one, right? Because you had all these campaigns where we didn't have shipping figured out. We didn't have the logistics figured out. We knew it was going to, we didn't know what the weight was going to be yet because all the stretch goals were still concept art. Yep. Right. And it was, oh yeah, cool. We'll get it made. So it took two to three years to get delivered because we hadn't actually figured out what the sculpt was going to be. You know, like half those things were just, hey, have our content, our concept artist whip it up. It'll Skip, look cool. Sketch something out real quick. You know? Yeah. Right. And what a trip that was. So one of the one of the Kickstarters that I think defined the big shift was when Hawk War Games came out with Drop Zone Commander. Right. And uh, when Drop Zone Commander came out, it was a all painted 
It was all done. All their stretch goals were finished. They were they were ready to go, and it was all. And there were four factions, and it was a fifteen millimeter sci-fi kind of red alert style tabletop game, right? And they were nobodies in the market, but that campaign launched. They had fully painted sets. They had all their stretch goals laid out. Everything was done and good to go. You knew what you were getting. So, and they had a cool two player pledge level, so you and your buddy could pledge it and pick your factions and do all that. And uh, that came out on the market and everyone's like, oh crap, you're right. We should be doing that. It should already be all done. Everything should be all painted. We shouldn't be trying to play this guessing game afterwards. And for a lot of the big miniatures game Kickstarters, drop some, once Drops of Commander hit, that had set the new bar on what it needs to be. And even now, a lot of campaigns aren't doing that. Like I think a lot of the big miniatures game campaigns that are coming out, even ones I've been a part of, and not everything's painted. Not everything is out yet. Not everything has been 3D printed, right? And uh, and that's a bummer. I mean, like, Games Workshop does so well because when they come out with a new faction or a new model, here it is. It's painted. Here's the 3D spin. We've already seen it to 15 of our top painters in the community. They've already painted it too. Now check it out. Look at all these things. Here's a battle report. Here's how it works in the system. Here's the new rules. Here's the book it's going to be in. And that's all in the first month. Right, so when the release hits, they've got everything's done, everything's painted, and it's all of that. Of course, it's trade; they're doing crowdfunding and everything there. But when you look at that as a marketing standpoint, they know mm-hmm. what's happened, right? Yeah. They they have their art preview, they have their designer diary, the community's seen it, they've done those things. If you can get to that point with the Kickstarter, you should, because oh my gosh, I need to come out by a certain time, and what an arbitrary date you're setting for yourself. Right, because yep. you need to be thinking about when that release date's going to be and those things there. So when I look back on those older campaigns and a lot of that stuff, it was that rush. One of the funny things that we we used to do back then, here I am just dating myself again. Was uh, um, we it was just choose whatever you want for your for your stretch goals. We used to have T-shirts in there, right? Pick your size, pick <laughs> your thing. Hey, you mix and match the pledge you're going to ship. So you get people that were like the factory would be like, stop doing that. Because you'd have so many mispacked issues with these things there. That's why the all-in pledge is so sexy now. It's because even like quartermaster logistics goes, thank you. We will, <laughs> we will put all of that in there and it'll be good to go. Right. Yep. You can have a couple different options here and there, but like the pledge manager system, having to pick and choose all your different things, even now it's cool. You added another map, added another booster pack. That's fine. But Back then, it used to be just a mess because it was trying to get people used to the idea of just getting it down to simpler pledges, right? Because when it was so, oh, I want to play this faction, but I want to get this shirt, and then I'm this size, and then now i got to get a poster in there, and the poster tube's going to be this thing, and that's five more bucks for you to sign up for your poster tube shipment. And then it was, when do you charge shipping? Like right now, the charging shipping after the campaign's done, I know it's a novel thing, but... It took us forever to get there. We, we used to include shipping in your pledge level. Yeah. It, it's and, and and Kickstarter would take 10% of it yeah. or 5% and Stripe fees on the other four or 5%. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a pain. Now um, question related to what it is that we're talking about. I mean, as far as marketing a game today, if, if you're, if you would were to give advice to somebody, you know, we can start with that arbitrary date that you're going to launch. If you're not ready you don't need to launch. There's nothing that me, you know, you can tell the people when you said you were going to launch, you can say, we're going to delay it a little longer because of X, Y, and Z and, and actually be ready. But what other marketing bits 
what advice would you have for our listeners in regard to marketing a big game today? Like in the lead up to a campaign? And- so there, there's a few things, right? One is I think you the, the big thing is you got to think about who's your community and who's your audience, right? Because there's certain people that like to consume certain kinds of marketing, right? If you're going to do a big miniatures game with factions and epic gameplay and all that stuff, put in the work now and start writing those blogs so that you can have your focus stuff and don't, don't wait to the last minute, right? Like think if you know your campaign's going to be in five months and you're legit ready for it, start an early announcement and build out what your marketing is going to be, right? Think about what you're going to do during your campaign, whether it's going to be a two week campaign or a three week campaign, have every day roughly fleshed out, have a good press list. Of course, your newsletter and all your consumer stuff, that's good too. But think about who your press is, right? Like you want to have a, a couple good, it's so easy to get a hold of Polygon, io9 and comicbook.com and ICB2 and Mojo Nation. Like try to get a couple good interviews out there if you can, you know, and just and think about that and have a good press kit. Most things don't have a press kit. It's amazing. It blows my mind how many people don't have a press kit, right? So your press kit should include all your game details, all your, uh, you know, about your game, where to find information for it, a good photography for your game, right? Have photos of your game that prep people can use, have some graphics that people can grab, have your logo people can grab. And don't just say go to board game, you can get it there, right? That's, that's lazy, you know? Put a, put a Dropbox together and have a press kit of your stuff. And then have some good demos played. Go play at a game store. Don't play it with your, like, with your friends, great, but go play at a game store, get some demo games going. All that stuff, builds up for it right and so i i think the biggest thing you can do is just get your assets together build some cool stuff and create a good story with it because because if you can create a good story with your marketing assets people are going to get excited and they're going to want to play it for the larger games people want to be a part of it and they want to be a part of the brand they want to be a part of the community they want to be a part of the story and if they're going to invest 100 bucks to 400 bucks they got to know that they're backing good people and they're going to back a quality game that's going to be around for a while. As an example, Joan of Arc, right? The big Joan of Arc mm-hmm. game. I backed that. was super in. Oz worked there, right? And, and everybody was super cool. And then the first like six months after the campaign was done, they let go all their US team, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, cool. I now have no desire to play this game because they, I know they don't treat their people well. And I'm like, well, yeah. they don't take care of their folk. So I, I still have it in the box in the garage, unopened. And I'm like, because I lost desire to play that game because they they fired their folk, right? And if they ever jump on Kickstarter again, you're like, dollar pledge. You guys are horrible. No, no, that's not going to be me. That's not going to be me. But, but, but I'm thinking it, you know. So it's but so, so that kind of stuff there. Like, if, if you're going to have a big campaign in a big game, like I want to be a part of a, be a part of your brand and a part of your story, and you got to get me excited, right? So like like and get some good competitive analysis going on too, right? Like, of course, read all the Kickstarter blogs and everything there and say who's going on, but like go find some companies that make games that are similar and see what they're doing, right? And it doesn't have to be just board games too, right? Look at the marketing that, you know, FromSoft has been doing for Elden Ring. Go look at the marketing that Sega does for Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Pokemon has been dropping so many cool articles lately for the new Pokemon game that just came out, right? And they're talking about each individual little character thing here, there, and all of that. 
And that's all fun stuff that gets people hyped for it. I think in board games, we get lost so much in like the design or the designer, but it's like, let me, let me see your art. Let me see your characters. Let me see some cool stuff, right? Like yep. you spend all that money on art, but then you put it on a bunch of cards, right? And I never get to see it. Like, give me some wall heapers. Give me some cool things, right? Share that up. That's all stuff that's important. And I think people just want to be a part of that. It's interesting because on our side of it, right, we're only looking at the designer people. And so a lot of the times we'll post in some Facebook groups and do all that, but we're promoting to the same people that are also making their own campaign and doing their own thing and doing all of that. You've got to go and find where your audience is and you've got to go be a part of that. And, and as a, just posting in the same five Facebook groups that everybody else does, is not going to fund your campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got to find where your audience is and go be a part of that. Necessarily like join the ranks and infiltrate, but you know, I, I if you're doing a, a big, a big style galactic, you know, thing, go find where folks are posting about Twilight Imperium and we're, we're posting about Descent, and, and you know, be a part of that community and share yep. share that story along the way, right? Then buy ads on that site and then try to be interviewed by the folks that run those podcasts and do those things and that kind of stuff because that's the stuff that does well. Um, I, since I did work in it full time, obviously I, I can dedicate my nine to five to doing that kind of marketing. So if people weren't going to be doing that and they have to do it after their full day of work, it's okay to focus, right? Like you don't have to throw a wide net and hope something sticks. If, if you know you're only going to have time for board game geek and discord, own your discord and own your, own your board game geek stuff, right? Like it'll share a lot of really cool stuff in there and be a part of that. Hey, come join the group. When Letter Games gets ready to launch a new Kickstarter, they kick off with a designer diary on BoardGameGeek, right? And they do this there. And that's really cool because people know they can be a part of that journey as it goes along. Their artists will start sharing art from the new campaign. Peter will talk about game design stuff on their thing there. And that's all part of it. People know what the brand is going to be, what's all that stuff going on. So focus up and do that because if you have a couple really good things versus a lot of okay things, then you're only going to be okay. And you're going to hope something works where if you've dedicated a lot of time to one community, at least you know that you've got that brand strong. Yeah. I I'm a huge believer in community and trying to own your communities. And, you know, you definitely want to go where your people are and then eventually you want, you want to foster a community of your own that, you know, where people want to hear from you inside and discuss your thing in that community. And I think that there's no better place for, or rather there's no better positioning for a community than around a big game that people can feel like they are like on the bandwagon, you know, like for, for deliverance, you know, it's very, very easy to get people on the bandwagon because it's a huge meaty thing that they feel like is going to continue. And, you know, where is it going to go? And they're very interested and they can't wait for this or that. And they're willing to discuss. Um, And I think that a lot of games that have, you know, I mean, like you mentioned Bardsung with a 120 hour campaign, that's definitely something that I um, am really excited about with, you know, if I, if I'm a backer of Bardsung, I can't wait to talk about it with other people. You know, it's like the best part of seeing Top Gun, uh, whatever Top Gun 2 was talking about how great it was with other people who saw it or oh, whatever, yeah. you know, well, or Avatar or you name it. 
So like with Bardsong, one of the cool things that happened was once that game started delivering, which delivered like a three months early, which was like prime awesome. pandemic stuff, which was props to Steam Forge. They got that game delivered early. It was amazing. It totally threw off all of our trade sales. Um, but whatever on that, it, it, people <laughs> got it and it was great. But within the first like two weeks, people are like, hey, look, I've painted all this stuff up. Oh my gosh, fully painted sets, fully painted sets. And it was like 70 models. I guess with one last question, sure. I was wondering about any super memorable marketing aha moments, like you know that you that you could share from your days at Coleman or not the Op Steam Forged, you know anything that was like, wow, I can't wait to implement that, or something that just was an epiphany for you that sort of formed, you know, the way that you market now. That's a great question. I, I marketing is going to be my passion for like forever. Right, it's a, is there one moment that really stands out? I don't think there's one exact moment that I can like, pull out and be like, "This was great," but I think things that I've really enjoyed, and I'm is totally like a like a, a I love when we have pull off a really good partnership with a good licensor, and that's made for some cool stuff. So like with Steam Forged, we got to do in-game announcements for RuneScape, so we got oh, to promote the Kickstarter within the game and have people like read about it in the tavern and in the stuff and do all that. Like that was really neat. Um, when I was at the op, we got to do some stuff with Marvel direct and have Marvel do direct promotions for the games that are coming out with and do a whole thing there with the op. We were planning some stuff to do with Harry Potter world that didn't come through because of some other thing, but like just being able to work on that whole part was really neat. We got to do some stuff with at the op where we got to work with uh, Pixar Direct for the um, the Quest of Your game, right? And do some of those things. Uh, when I was at when I was at IDW, we when we did the Turtles Munchkin game, mm-hmm. and we did the, the we got to work. Like Kevin Eastman was down there sketching out the cards, <laughs> right? Cool. And like just taking selfies with the stuff, doing some of those things there. So like just that kind of stuff is is really neat. And uh, there were so many of those moments where it's like, this is why I do this, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're like, we get to do cool things and do all that, which is great. There's been multiple moments too, where I've got to hang out with a lot of people that I look up to, you know, um, just across the industry in general, uh, the big collaborations and stuff like that. So um, I think that's kind of like, there's, there's been a lot of stuff that I've done where I I look back on it and I'm like, oh, cool. That's, you know, that helps set like a a thing there. But there's so many folk now that are doing really cool things in marketing, like across the board. And then I've also like had done it way before us too. Like it's a lot of it. Gaming has a three tier system, right? It's it's publisher, uh, distributor, retailer, Kickstarter really helped kind of get around that boat there. But at the same time, people have been buying games and comics since the seventies and eighties, right? Like, and everything there. So a lot of it's not super new, but when we get to pull stuff off that really does well and, and blows up in a good way, that's exciting, right? So there, I, I, can't, I can't think of one exact thing, but there are a lot of cool moments that I've been able to do. And I hope to do many more, you know, like I ain't going anywhere. So there's a lot of cool marketing stuff that could probably happen in the future that I, I we, we will get to see what happens, right? So um, it'll be fun. So Ross, if people want to follow along what you're getting up to, where's the best place to connect with you? I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, at Almost Kirk or Ross Thompson. So you can find me on either word there. I made a Mastodon, but I'm not really using it. And then I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So um, I'll under Ross Thompson. You can do that. 
Um, and, and also, I, I post a lot in the Tabletop Games Jobs group, right? So yes. I guess if I had to promote anything right now, it'd be um, if you're looking for a job in the industry or you are going to be opening up a, a role in your company, post it in the Tabletop Games Jobs group. Jessica Fisher and I run that group, and it's fantastic. If you're looking for jobs in the industry, that's the best place to go. So yeah. I guess that's I've actually posted for, for uh, looking for employees in that group before. Um, and I, I got a couple of uh, bites and it was pretty cool. So I, I think that that's amazing that you run that. And it's uh, just, you know, great service to the industry. I'm sure you're not probably getting paid uh, big bucks to do that or anything, but it's uh, really nice. You know, so thank you from just a fellow member in the industry for doing that. You and Jessica. Um, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, we're happy to do it. It started a long time ago and we just kind of kept on it. And if anything, it kind of keeps me plugged in too. So. I get, I get to know who's hiring for what. So it's always kind of fun to think about, ooh, what's that job going to be for, right? So Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. And I mean, we just passed 10,000 members in the group uh, this week. So pretty cool. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. And with that said, that concludes this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And of course, if you liked this podcast and like to listen to some of our others, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And of course, until then, stay classy, stay nerdy, and... Go big or go home.